and welcome to PodRocket, a web development podcast brought to you by LogRocket. LogRocket helps software teams improve user experience with session replay, error tracking, and product analytics. You can try it free at LogRocket.com. I'm Noel, and today we are joined by Naman Gol. He's the StyleX lead, and we'll be talking about that today. Welcome to the show. How's it going? Hi, nice to see you there, Noel. It's my first time talking about StyleX publicly since it's been open source, so I'm feeling pretty excited. Slightly nervous. We'll see how it goes. I'm, I'm excited to chat about it today. I feel like there's been a fervor online. Everyone's here talking about it, excited to see how this ends up and where this goes. So I guess I'm curious, like initially, what was the motivation here? What were you guys using before this? Where did the idea come from and how did it come to fruition? If you've seen Facebook for the past few years, you've seen that around 2019, the whole website was updated. It was a big redesign. What a lot of people don't know externally is that it was actually a rewrite from scratch. Mm. We wrote all of Facebook.com from scratch, every single thing again. Since then, everything's been using React, everything's been using Relay, and everything's been using StyleX. That's where StyleX started. And before that rewrite, we were using something that we called CX, but it's essentially the same architecture as CSS modules. And over time, we had seen lots and lots of problems with that architecture. There were two major problems that we were trying to solve. One of them was that Facebook is a really large website and CSS modules keep loading more and more CSS for every single component that you load. And we were seeing 10, 15, 20 megabytes of CSS commonly on somebody's page session. So that was the first motivation. We needed something that was essentially atomic styles just to keep that under control. Mm-hmm. The second big issue that we were seeing was that we have this really big build pipeline and it loads CSS in the same order that your JavaScript loads. So if you go from page A to page B, you're loading the CSS for page A first and then the CSS for page B. So as long as all of your styles are properly encapsulated, that's fine because it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. But In practice, there was always going to be these issues where we were loading CSS that was not completely encapsulated. We were using complex selectors, descendant selectors. And then what we ended up with was that there was some CSS that would change based on how you navigated the page. If A loaded first and then B loaded, then B's styles would win over A's styles. Right, right. Or the other way around. And when we are testing, we write our tests assuming a certain page flow and we write all our tests. So we would see some of these test failures come in where people would be like, hey, this thing looks like this, and we would not be able to reproduce it because we didn't know that they navigated the page in that particular way. That's where StyleX started. And it was actually the first version of StyleX was way smaller, way tinier. It was written by Sebastian McKenzie, the original author of Babel. Mm, Gotcha. And that's where it started. But I'm on the team that builds components, like UI components. So I joined the team around the same time when StyleX had just been built a couple of months earlier. And I started using it and I was using it to build components. And ever since then, like Sebastian was about to leave the company soon. And he guided me a little bit early on before he left. And I started just hacking on it, adding a little bit of stuff to it, just to make my own life easier, to make the components we were building more flexible, more reliable, things like that. And it's interesting we're talking about Babel. I'm curious on these styling systems. I feel like it's natural that it comes into the conversation of like, you said, we have to solve this problem of ensuring that we get consistent CSS and we're not sending the same CSS a bunch of times and the minification and all that. 
does StyleX plug into like the build system in an interesting way at all? Or is there uh, like any tricks that are done to help fix that problem that you just mentioned? One way that StyleX is different from every other styling solution that I've seen so far is that it was built to plug into the bundler. And we don't use any of the bundlers internally. We have something very custom. So our integration is pretty hand-rolled, not something we could share with the general open source community anyway. So when we first open source, we basically had the Babel plugin, which is the shared part. And then we wrote a bunch of bundler integrations specifically for open source. We don't use those internally. And that has actually been also the biggest challenge <laughs> externally because yeah. none of the bundlers expect tools like this to exist as much because they want you to use CSS imports and they'll just include it in the bundle or they'll combine all of the CSS. And we wanted our own file format, essentially, which is these are styles generated from this file. And if there's any big challenge still ongoing today is better and better bundler integrations. We've pretty much gotten roll-up to down. Roll-up's pretty nice to write a plugin for. Webpack's a bit harder. Uh, but there's so many new bundlers. There's new bundlers coming out all the time. So that's always going to be a challenge. Essentially, what we're doing is not super hard to think about conceptually, which is we generate styles for every single file that are defined in that file. The class names are hashes of the styles. And then afterwards, we collect all the styles from all the files. We deduplicate all the styles because they're hashes, so they're going to be the same. And then we generate one single atomic style sheet. That's what we're optimizing for today. We haven't really seen any major issues with that approach, like of having a single atomic CSS file. But this is also what Tailwind is doing. This is what every atomic style thing that came out after Tailwind, Windy CSS, anything else. They're mostly all generating a single CSS file. There's no real bundle splitting need at the moment. Mm -hmm. But if it turns out in the future that, hey, there are some situations where we want to do some bundle splitting, we could do that. It's just not something we have seen being a problem. I'm glad you brought up Tailwind because that was my next big line of questioning here is like, why would devs reach for StyleX when Tailwind exists? And, you know, there's lots of questions about it, documentation, all that stuff. It's the incumbent. What advantages does StyleX have over something like Tailwind? There's more esoteric reasons, but I'll give you the biggest one, which is merging of styles. There's a very popular library with Tailwind called Tailwind Merge. And it essentially tries to provide the same capabilities that StyleX gives you out of the box, which is merge this class name from this other file with the class name in this component. And there's a few issues with that. One is that because you're just merging strings, the amount of work that Tailwind Merge needs to do is pretty heavy, pretty heavy library itself, because it needs to know, hey, M is margin and MT is margin top, and it needs to order them correctly and do things like that. So the amount of work it needs to do is pretty involved. The second big thing is, I would say this is the biggest unique value of StyleX today, is we found the smallest edge cases while merging styles, and we accounted for those. It's actually one of the reasons it took much longer than we expected. I actually feel pretty confident today that there is no edge case that we missed with merging styles. So. That's the biggest one. So it's like, oh, what happens when you merge margin versus margin top, like long hands and short hands? What happens when you merge media queries versus not media queries? And basically every other solution cuts a few corners there. So one corner that is pretty common is if your base component has a base style and a media query style, then you overwrite that with a new base style. The media query style remains. People are used to it, so it makes sense. But 
in practice, when you start using it, to give you an example, say you have a div that gets some margins on a base style and some different margins when you have a media query. Like say mobile, you get a smaller margins and desktop, you get larger margins. And you want to take that component and just override its margins and remove them. You just want to say margin zero. If you just say margin zero in every other solution today, you'll still get those margins at mobile or desktop whichever media query you used. Mm -hmm. And as a user of a component, now you're on the hook to go look inside the component's definitions, see what media queries it's using, and then manually override those media queries. This is also just inefficient because you just want to say margin zero, but you're now applying two styles to just say margin zero. And so that's one of the things we changed this kind of late in the game, like, you know, mid of last year is in style, you say margin zero, it means margin zero. It'll remove all margins no matter what conditions those margins were applied in. And then the styles are written that way to reflect that expectation. That's a good example. Maybe to frame it for listeners, what does the interface look like? Because then the obvious question, again, if you haven't looked at this before, is like, what if I do only want to override the margins for not the media query? What if I only want to override the top level unmedia queried margins? How do I go about doing that? Yes, there's two ways to do that. Of course, that's always a trade-off. And then with that trade-off, the solution is to use CSS variables. That's the easiest one. Any component can let you partially override margins. You want this component could be like, okay, the media query one should never change, but for the base one, we let you change it. And here's a CSS variable that we use for it. And as long as you change the value of that CSS variable, we could. And I'm saying CSS variable, but there's a API for CSS variables in Stylex. It would literally be like component dot component vars dot color. And you just set that. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to look up names and things. Everything is a JavaScript reference. You import and use objects everywhere. And that was another very big goal that we had. We'll get to that later, I guess. Um, another way is you could just pass in regular props. And then we have dynamic styles capabilities where you can use a function instead of an object, which I guess what I need to explain is like how Stylex is written, which is essentially, it's very close to stylesheet.create from React Native. Gotcha. You write objects or styles. It's the most bare bones API. You don't have to learn anything new. You don't have to learn what the properties are called. It's the same thing as CSS. And then the only additional thing on top of that is that whenever you're using media queries or hover focus active, things like that, that goes inside of the value. So margin can be a string, which is, you know, 20%. It can be a number, which is like 20 for 20 pixels, or it can be an object where it's an object where you say default, these styles hover these other styles. And that is probably the biggest difference from everything else that people are used to, mm -hmm. which is we don't write media query and then margin inside of that. The values themselves are conditional. And that decision was made because that's how the merging works. So we want to set the right expectations that, hey, essentially all you're doing is merging objects. Even though that's not what's entirely happening, there's a little more than that. But conceptually, it's just merging objects. Yeah, it's easy to think about that way. Yeah. That's an interesting paradigm shift. Was there much of a decision that kind of went in that or a back and forth? Because it does feel like a significant departure. Mm -hmm. Like if someone is, you know, written a lot of CSS, if they're like a CSS person, that, that's probably not how their mind is really wired. If you're like a JavaScript person, that is probably how you think about things. And I'm sure for users, sometimes they're like, oh yeah, this is way easier for me to consider than like grouping rules by behavior instead of the inverse, grouping the attributes on a given thing in an object. Was that a tricky decision or did you guys mull on that for a while? 
Yeah, yeah. This is probably one of the big things that kept us delayed. Some people may know I gave a talk like two years ago saying, hey, it'll be open source very soon. Then <laughs> it took two years. And this is probably something that we spent three months going back and forth on. There is value in just doing the things that people expect. And so we didn't just want to change it unless it made sense. And there's a few reasons. One of them is that what I just explained is that merging becomes much more reliable mm -hmm. with this approach. It's like when you are setting something, this is what you expect. Then there's also the question of just principles. The principle that I came up with, because it's like when we came close to open sourcing, we wanted like clear reasons of why we're making decisions. And the goal of StyleX's API was basically, hey, what if you just use inline styles everywhere? Because that's exactly how merging works with inline styles. Like you can write margin top first, but then if you write margin zero afterwards, the last style wins as long as it's an inline style. And you can write margin top five times in a style string and the last one wins. And so we wanted that same exact experience. That is part of what developers expect. And when we get into that, when you think about it in inline style terms, there are no media queries. There's no hover focus active. You are instead using JavaScript to conditionally set keys. Like you make conditionally set margin based on some JavaScript values. And so we're like, okay, you do that in inline styles. How do we just make that declarative? Like we take that experience, we put it into an object, make it declarative, but it's the same experience as inline styles. Maybe people that haven't worked in systems similar to this are probably thinking, wait, we don't like inline styles, right? We're always like trying to minimize the number of inline styles we have to write. Why do you think that mental model mm -hmm. is a good one to project into this problem that StyleX is fixing? That mental model, it goes back to the original document idea that Christopher Shadow had shared, where CSS and JS comes from, which was, we don't write inline styles because it's a performance problem. Mm. And we tried, like there was a library called Radium many years ago, yeah. and it was literally using inline styles. And essentially the problem with inline styles is CSS is strings. And when you use inline styles, those strings have to be parsed over and over again versus a CSS file can be parsed once and it's cached and then you just look it up and it's much faster. We know that the organizational abilities of inline styles are great. That's what we want. Gotcha. But we want to solve the performance gap. Mm -hmm. And so that's why every single solution that's existed since then is doing various parts of that, even down to like CSS modules. CSS modules is inline to the component or inline to the file. So like these are the styles for this file and then scoped. And inline styles is the maximum scoping. Is like, these are the styles for this element. Mm -hmm. And Tailwind is inline styles. It's just a different API around inline styles as well. It's like, hey, these are the styles inline on that thing. You just don't get the other abilities where, hey, if you write margin top five and margin top 10 in Tailwind, like you don't know which one will win because it's just a string. It's just class names. It's not really a build pipeline. And since we are a build pipeline, we can solve those problems kind of way to think about it and frame it. Like anytime you're writing like scoped styles like this, like we all want to write in our component framework of choice. It's like, well, we're kind of doing the same thing. You're leaning on the same impulse that someone is when they want to just write an inline style, right? Like it's not a dissimilar pattern. But if you have that build step in there to help minimize and optimize, it's like probably not a bad way to think about it. I guess that kind of segues me nicely. Are there good use cases where StyleX excels and are there cases where it may not be as good a fit for a project? Or do you think, you know, if you're using React, it could be ubiquitous? 
I think if you're using a component framework, if you're writing components, it's a good fit. Sure. There's some criticisms, but those are all very stylistic choices that people have. I think that if you like writing Tailwind, it's about the same. It's just a different API. And we can touch on that later, but I'm actually working on some Babel plugins that will just let you write Tailwind if you want. Oh, cool. Because it doesn't matter. But where it does not make sense is the same place Tailwind doesn't make sense, which is you have arbitrary HTML. This is not components. And you just want to style it. So you need selectors for that. There's no way around that. Right. Maybe you need descended selectors. Maybe you need just random element selectors. Just use a regular CSS file for that. In fact, we've gone out of our way to not add any features to just replicate what CSS files are good for. There is no way to define global styles with stylex. You define global styles in a CSS file. Sure. And the same will be true for, hey, if you're using like a rich text editor or something, which doesn't let you pass in class names, just put it in the CSS file. It's okay. Yeah, cool. In the wild, do you see a lot of people doing hybrids where they'll like just use a CSS file to do the core browser default overrides and stuff like that, and then just step into Stylex for the components? Yeah. And because of the extreme encapsulation that Stylex does, mm -hmm. it's completely safe to combine it with other CSS, as long as you're not applying the same styles on the same element, because then you're introducing some amount of ambiguity in which styles will win. But as long as like some components are stylex and other components are something else, it's fine. It's easy to transition that way. Yeah. And one would have that problem really with any solution if you're combining two patterns of styling, like that's going to be a problem. Yeah. And that's the main problem with CSS in general that people run into is even if you have one system, if you just have a CSS file, you might run into conflicts and yeah. we want to remove all conflicts. So I make sure that I call out that you don't want to merge things because as soon as you start merging Stylex with other styles, we can't guarantee that there won't be conflicts at that point. So you've mentioned that you're pretty confident now that like all of the edge cases have been handled through this merging system and like some of the kind of magic that gets sprinkled on. Are there any cases, I guess, that were like caught pretty late in the game? Like they were surprisingly tricky that you almost didn't consider? They're not merging things. Technically, we caught it a little late in the game in general. Mm. To give you a little additional things, like we're also trying to make Stylex work with React Native. That work is still ongoing. It'll take a while. Gotcha. Yeah. But one of the reasons we came up with this decision is it's also how React Native works. There is no hover focus active or specificity in React Native. And our system, like our merging system, translates over to React Native perfectly, while the old system wouldn't, like the media query separately one. So it was around, I want to say, early 2023 is when we ran into this whole question and spent time working on this. The places where we did run into some like, hey, how do we handle this correctly, is uh, just CSS properties themselves. So there's some new CSS properties that are coming out, like view transitions and scrolling to timelines. Mm -hmm. And they have these properties where instead of using the variable with a var function call around it, you just use it directly because you're not reading the value, you're setting the value. You might say view transition name and it's dash whatever. And so those are the things that now we're dealing with is basically it's like we already have CSS variables as a proper API. So we want to just let you use that as is because one of the things we've already done is you don't have to have a separate API for reading and writing. 
because it's a JavaScript API. So if you use it in the key position, it's a write. If you use it in the value position, it's a read. But now we need to add some exceptions for new transition name is always a write, essentially, or we don't wrap it with a var. Things like that are a little bit of an edge case. There's some other things like, we'll talk about this in like future features, but there's certain things that are currently impossible like sharing media queries across files. Why is it hard to share media queries across files conceptually first and then like in practice? And what are some possible solutions there? Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily hard. There are other solutions that just let you do it. And the challenge is that it's compiled code. Every time you write stylex.create, it's essentially a macro. Everything that goes inside of it is compiled away. Mm. And everything inside of that needs to be known statically. So during compile time, we need to know what's going inside of that function call. And other solutions will let you use values across files, across module boundaries. That is a decision we made early on, partially because we need to you know, use stylex for facebook.com. Uh, every single compiled result of a file is very cacheable. Our compiling is uh, limited to a single file. We do not go resolve other files arbitrarily. Uh, we added an exception specifically for CSS variables, and we did that by making a new file extension of .stylex.ts.js. And we added specific rules where we don't actually go read that file at compile time. We just figure out what you're importing, what names you're importing, and then we regenerate the same variable names on the side where you read. And that way, it's impossible for the caching to ever break. Because if you change what you're exporting, you would be forced to change what you're importing as well, just because the names are different. And if you're using the same names as before, we don't need to change it. It's fine. It'll continue to work. Mm -hmm. So essentially, the requirement is like caching. We didn't want to break caching. And that's why if the shared media queries are in a different file, there's no easy way for us to share them right now. But we have solutions for that later on. So essentially, so far, we've only used real CSS. We've only used real CSS features like CSS variables and selectors. CSS layers optionally, we polyfill that by default because it's still only in new browsers. But going forward, we can start using like some proposals for CSS. So there's a CSS proposal for uh, shared media queries called custom media queries. So we could just make custom media queries, use those, and then just have a post CSS or lightning CSS post processing step that inlines that all in. And we can support more things going forward. Yeah. Are there any recent updates? Uh, we're talking about like the future a little bit here. Are there any recent updates that are noteworthy that mm -hmm. uh, devs might want to check out like in the latest version of Stylex? Or has it been pretty static since you guys went open source? So we didn't add too many features in the last couple of months because we wanted to get the core very stable and fix all the bugs. But there's some like quality of life improvements that people might want to know about. Mm -hmm. So the second release since open source, which is 0.4.1, we made some changes to the runtime. So we tried not have a runtime at all. If your styles are local to files, mm -hmm. we compile everything away. Even conditional styles, even merged styles, it doesn't matter. If everything is local to the same file, we'll pre-process everything. There'll be no runtime cost. But if you're passing styles across file boundaries and you're merging them, again, because we're doing caching for everything, we do merge these objects at runtime. And that runtime is very fast. It's using something called style queue. It's also used in React Native Web. But it was a little bit larger than it needed to be. And it just had some stuff that you don't really need in a compiled version of Stylex. So point four, we like 
refactored that code and the runtime went down by 50%. And I had put up a chart, like just comparing the old, like StyleX.3, StyleX.4 and Tailwind Merge. And StyleX.3 was half the size of Tailwind Merge. And StyleX.4 onwards is one fourth of the size of Tailwind Merge. It's like tiny now. There's one other thing that is probably worth calling out is that we have a StyleX.props function, which is the function you use to apply styles on an element. And StyleX.props is made for React. So it returns an object which has a class name key and a style key. And the style key is an object. And so that works perfectly in JSX for React, Preact, and SolidJS. SolidJS supports both class and class name, so it works. But then we were like using it with Quick, and then they use class, not class name, on, and try to make it work with Svelte, and the, they use class, not class name. So I just added a new function called stylex.atters, like attributes. And it's exactly the same thing as stylex.props, but it returns class and style as a string. Ah, gotcha. So if you're using it with other frameworks, okay, just use stylex.atters instead of props, and you're good to go. Other than that, and more quality of life improvements, we added another ESLint plugin. This was actually done by the community that will sort styles. It's a stylistic thing in StyleX. You don't need to sort your styles in any specific way because the last thing will win. But there are some cases where you might put margin top first and then margin later. And then that margin will override the margin top that came first. And you may or may not expect that. So if we just sort everything, it might give you more consistent styling or just the way everything is organized. And we added the ability to configure alias. So Next.js, everybody is using these like custom aliases now. We didn't support that earlier, and now we do, but you have to configure it. You mentioned briefly like some of the discrepancies between JavaScript frameworks, front-end frameworks there. Mm -hmm. Is there anything else that Stylex has to do to ensure compatibility? What front-end frameworks are you targeting? Or do you have a specific subset in mind? And are there frequently cases like this where there is some special consideration for like given subsets of those frameworks? Yeah. So essentially, the frameworks we are targeting are component frameworks. So this obviously removes things like WordPress and stuff like that. So it's component frameworks specifically where you write your markup in a JavaScript file. So that might be JSX. That might be a template string. That's okay. And it might be like Vue or Svelte files, which you may not think as JavaScript files, but they are just a custom format that compiles into a JavaScript file. So that's okay. The specific thing we need is we want the ability to use JavaScript references inside of your template or JSX. So one like weird case right now, which we're not sure if it makes sense or not, is Angular. Yeah. <laughs> because it works, but it requires multiple levels of indirection. Because Angular templates are just strings. You cannot use random references within it. Yeah. The only references it can use are on the object for Angular. And so it's like, normally you define your styles and you use them. But with Angular, you define your styles, you set them to a key, and then you use that key. And it feels a little less than ideal. So I'm not sure Angular is a good fit. Gotcha. And the other ones that are not a good fit is if you're using Shadow DOM and Web Components, then yeah, it doesn't make sense because you'd be loading the same CSS bundle in every single component multiple times. That's inefficient. And at that point, just use whatever Shadow DOM styles. It's okay. Yeah, yeah. You're probably messing a different layer of the stack at that point anyway. I'm sure people developing that way are used to having to consider the implications of what they're doing anyway in a slightly different way. Yeah, like on the second part of my question there, is there much work you guys have to do to make sure that you do have functionality with all of these frameworks that, you know, are 
building JavaScript files or do things mostly just work? They mostly just work. The only extra work is on the integration level. We don't officially have a plugin for Svelte yet, for example, but I have it working. Mm-hmm. And I had to take the thing uh, I wrote for quick and tweak a bunch of things in the plugin to be like, okay, it's a .svelte file, but treat it like a JavaScript file and things like that. So there's extra work we need to do on the bundler level or the plugin level, but the library itself, the Babel plugin just works. It's fine because it all gets compiled into simple objects and class names anyway. Very cool. Are there any particular challenges you foresee in the future? We talked briefly on like some nice to have things that you guys are looking at that might be handy, but are there any particular challenges or use cases you've struggled with that you'd like to work on, but we're not quite there yet? Yeah. So the biggest one is descendant selectors and sibling selectors. Mm -hmm. So like, I want to reiterate that I don't think they should be used in like the majority of use cases that people use them for, but there are some places where it is better. If your only alternative is used to use lots of JavaScript to do it, then it's probably better to just use CSS if not other downsides, which would be a big rabbit hole, so I won't get into that. But there's some places where it makes sense, and we know how we'll do it like from a conceptual point of view. We know how it'll work, mm-hmm. but the API has been difficult to you know lock down. Yeah. We're not sure what it should look like. We also want to avoid the pitfalls that other libraries ran into. There's a library called Griffle that's from Microsoft, and we talked to them quite a bit. And they just allow arbitrary selectors. And as a result, they had an explosion in the amount of CSS. And so <laughs> like we are being very careful about adding new features that might accidentally enable you to shoot yourself in the foot. So that's probably the biggest challenge as of right now. Future, there's going to be another very big challenge, which is we have some ideas on how we can optimize to another level. So right now, everything is optimized on a file level. But we have an idea on how we could optimize it across file boundaries without breaking caching. And But it's like a challenging task. We're not completely sure how some of the details will work yet. But it will essentially do multiple things, including reduce the amount of JavaScript generated after compilation. Like right now, we will have objects of class names generated sometimes. We could remove all of that. We could remove any duplicate objects across files. Right now, we do deduplicate CSS. We could deduplicate JavaScript is basically the idea there. Nice. I feel like we've covered a lot in the 30 minutes or so we've been talking. Is there anything else you'd want to implore developers to check out other than just going and giving StyleX a try? So I'm going to write a blog post about like the whole value of merging styles. But one of my favorite things, this is when StyleX was released, obviously I was on a bit of a high and there was you know, thousands of things on social media, people saying good things, bad things. Most of the bad things that people said, I expected. There's a lot of people who are like, I'm just going to write CSS files. And I'm like, okay, you can just write CSS files. Yeah. <laughs> because one of the things that gets missed is Stylex has two major values, in my opinion. One is for large applications because you kind of want atomic styles. You want the consistency because as the application gets large, that's when those problems become bigger. If you're writing something small, if you have 10, 20, 30 pages, any CSS solution you write will be fast enough. It's fine. For smaller apps, the only real value of atomic styles in general, Stylex in particular, is it gives you just more reliability with your styles. But 
One comment that I saw, and I won't name the person, it's somebody was like, no matter what, do not merge styles <laughs> and never do it. That was like a blog post. And I was like, yeah, before StyleX, this was the correct thing to say. And it was like a very negative article about StyleX. And I read it and I felt very happy because I'm like, this is what we're solving is you can merge styles now. It'll be fine. That's a good note. And we'll, we'll get a link to your blog in the show notes as well so people can find it. It'll just be on the StyleX blog. I'll, I'll have it up soon. Nice, nice. Yeah, we'll link to both. Cool. Thank you so much for coming on and chatting with me, Numan. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Noel. Thanks for talking to me. Thanks for inviting me to talk about StyleX. Mm-hmm.